Check. 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 Sounds good. Feels good. Okay, shall we? Welcome to the fellowship. My name is Adam Hawk, joined by the CEO of Nation Golf, Ryan Engel, and what a week it's been, eh? John Rom just made Shohei Otani money. Live Golf has completely accomplished a mission that no one is paying attention to except me. The golf ball rollback exposed how little the majority of golfers actually know about golf. I got banged up in a mosh pit on Saturday as a 36-year-old. My daughter made the all-star team and scored two goals in a 3-1 to victory against the league's best players. Our live Christmas show is taking shape, I think. And this podcast went viral, and I don't know if either of us really liked it that much. As my good friend Ruben Ortega likes to say, it's been a hell of a year this week. How the hell are you? I'm great. Thank you for asking. What a wonderful question. Glad to hear it. I, for one, cannot wait for this month to come to an end because December, like it is every year, is an oxymoronic, juxtaposed, heavenly hellhole, and it never ceases to deliver on maximum stress, all drenched in cozy darkness illuminated by millions of twinkling Christmas lights. What the hell was that? Oh, my God. Is that why you got here at four in the morning to write that little bit? That was pretty good, wasn't it? I, I didn't understand half those vocabulary words, but... Well, let's dive into all of it in the order that I just laid out. Off the top, John Rom is officially off to live, and I guess we're supposed to care. What does that actually mean? Okay, so he signs, they're giving him his own team, but with the merger coming, like, does anyone even know what this means? Does anyone actually really know what the fuck's going on? I think a lot has to play out, and as you mentioned, there is a deal between the tour and Liv that is supposed to be done by the end of the month. Who knows if it will get done, but it's supposed to be done by December 31st. But for John Rom going to Liv, I do want to say you can read a thousand think pieces about this and try to convince yourself that it matters or signals some sort of massive shakeup. But here's the truth. John Rom leaving for Liv will not and I repeat, will not help Liv's television ratings, and it will not hurt the PGAs. And let that sink in for a minute, because once you realize the reality of the situation, you can stop having this argument with whoever you're fighting with about it. Yes, Liv just pulled off something massive by signing John Rom, giving him half a billion dollars and ownership and whatever weird team he's going to play on. But the massive thing that they just pulled off isn't viewership or relevancy for their television product. This does not remotely move the needle with TV ratings because John Rahm himself doesn't move the needle. And that's not a knock on John Rahm or his ability to get the ball in the hole. This guy is one of the best players to ever step foot on the golf course, period, full stop. But, and this is key, he is not transcendent. He is not a pop culture celebrity. He is not must-see TV. He's John Rom, And John Rom is not getting you or anyone to seek out the answers to the following questions. When is Live Golf on television? What channel is Live Golf on? When does the season start? What are the big events I need to pay attention to? What's the format? These are questions you would need to answer if you were planning on watching something live on TV, but you weren't planning on watching live, even with John Rahm coming over. 
You didn't watch with Brooks Kepka, who has three more majors than Rom. You didn't watch with Dustin Johnson, who is part of the very elusive and exclusive 20-win club. You didn't watch with Cam Smith, who left right after winning the British Open, and you're not going to watch now. You're right, John Rom. He's not captivating any audience. Is it fun to watch when he's doing good? Yeah, great player. But let's be honest, this whole entire field, it's almost like they're all just that. It's just a field. There's no really transcendent player. There's no Arnold Palmer. There's no Jack Nicholas. There's no Lee Trevino. There's none of those guys. They're all just kind of the strength of the field. Are people really just like, they can't wait to get the Buffalo Wild Wings this weekend and have the 14 TV screens up there and one of the screens next to all the other football games is live golf and they're just constantly paying attention to it? No, they are not. No one's fucking watching that stuff. It's kind of a joke. Tiger's the last transcendent superstar in golf and the media, the industry, everything at whole works around the clock to keep it that way. And they don't keep pushing Tiger Woods down our throats because it's low-hanging fruit and it's easy for traction. That's a benefit of it. The reason they're doing it is because there's no one else. Is Scotty Scheffler putting asses in the seats? No, he is not. Great player, great guy. I'm not dogging him as a person or as a golfer, but these are just facts of sports entertainment. These guys are nobodies, dude. And they're not going to ever be a Tiger Woods. John Rahm, like every other golfer not named Tiger Woods, is not transcendent. Very, very few people are. And I'm not just talking about golf. Do you remember when satellite radio first came out? No yep. one had it, and most people couldn't even tell you how to get it or who offered it. Or how to work it. <laughs> right. But do you know what SiriusXM did to solve that massive market problem of getting terrestrial radio listeners to start paying for something that had always been free, they went out and they signed Howard Stern to the biggest broadcasting contract of all time because they weren't just paying for him, they were paying for his audience and they were banking on that audience following Howard Stern through all the brand new hoops and paywalls that they had to jump through and climb over. And it worked because Howard Stern is Howard Stern. Same reason why Spotify paid Joe Rogan tens of millions of dollars for the exclusive rights to his podcast. Same reason why ESPN just moved Pat McAfee onto their network. Think about the concept of transcendence with streaming platforms. People bought a subscription to Netflix to watch House of Cards years ago because it was an exclusive show only available on that platform and all the pop culture buzz about it and rave reviews forced people to go into their pockets and sign up for something that they had to see. Apple TV did it with Ted Lasso. HBO did it with Game of Thrones. Hulu did it with Fleabag. The point is this. In order to get someone to switch their habits, seek you out, open up their wallets, and clear out the most valuable asset they have, their time, you need to offer them something that they have to have. John Rahm is not that. Never has been. Never will be. Never will be. And to no fault of his own, there are dozens and dozens of hit TV shows that will garner people's interests and their dollars. In the hundreds of years that golf has been around, there have been three transcendent players. Three. Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods. That's it, man. It's just a strong field with no superstars. And you have an industry that's trying to make these guys superstars that aren't. That's what we have. Call me a hater. Whatever. That is the truth. In the grand scheme of pop culture, 
golf is an extremely niche genre, whether us diehards care to admit it or not. To break through on a transcendent scale is borderline impossible. So I'm not knocking John Rahm or anyone else who fits the category of being very great at the game, but not as great at attracting eyeballs. And to be clear, I don't think there's anyone on the planet right now who could get a noticeable amount of viewers to start tuning in to live. Because here's another thing. It's not like the PGA Tour is crushing it in ratings either. Quite the opposite. Most people do not watch golf, plain and simple. Why do you think they're trying so many new things like elevated events, exhibition matches, crossovers with F1 and Netflix, the TGL, father-son tournaments, Jack and Jill matches? Yeah, sure, the creation of Live forced their hand on some of those things. But it's not because they had to keep up with Live. It's because Live exposed just how complacent the tour was. The point is this. John Rahm wasn't helping lift the PGA Tour to NFL status. Hell, he and Rory and Scotty and JT and Spieth together weren't even beating out NHL ratings. So to think that taking one of the best players over to an upstart gimmicky league on a channel you don't know about in a time slot you don't know about to play a bastardized version of a game you were barely watching on CBS when it was the PGA Tour, it's just not going to happen. All great points there. So that leads to this. Why are they doing it? Are they going to get their return? I'm talking all the player signing bonuses, all the contracts, all of the purse money put in, all the perk money, those stupid videos that were coming out when they first started and they're on these jets with like James Bond bars on them, showering champagne on each other, you know? I mean, they're well over a billion dollars into this golf league that literally nobody is watching. Now, they got a lot of people squawking. They got the PGA Tour's attention, and now they're in their pockets, which is crazy that they've maneuvered into that. But look it, they got the dough. They're going to get what they want. The question goes back. The question remains, why? Why live golf? Why all this money for these players that aren't going to be anything in 10 years? Why take over the PGA Tour? I think I know. I think I know. It goes into my main point that I want to make on today's episode, which is this wasn't about signing John Rahm to bolster ratings or to legitimately compete with the product that the PGA Tour puts out. I think Liv accomplished something absolutely massive with this John Rahm signing, and I don't think anyone's talking about it. Liv has accomplished sports watching and a whole hell of a lot sooner than anyone thought possible. If you're not familiar with the term sports washing, here's the definition. Sports washing is a term used to describe the practice of nations, individuals, groups, corporations, or governments using sports to improve their reputations that were tarnished by wrongdoing. Do you remember when Liv first launched and what the conversation was? It was all about blood money and the terrible track record of human rights issues by the Saudis, and 9-11 families were writing open letters to the first batch of PGA Tour defectors, and the PGA Tour was standing on top of a moral mountain saying they would never condone the source of these funds used to create and sustain Liv. That was only a few months ago. Here we are in December of 2023, John Rahm, just got half a billion dollars from the exact same source as those original defectors, 
And no one is talking about it, not at least the way that they used to. No one is saying John Rahm has blood on his hands or in his bank account. His deal is simply viewed and talked about through the lens of, holy shit, that's a lot of money. A few months ago, it was blood money. Now it's just money. And not only did John Rahm take it, the PGA Tour is at the table with the Saudis right now working on a deal where they will take it too before the end of the year. This is, by very definition, sports washing. Because we have all become totally numb to where the money is coming from. And that's the entire point of sports washing. To either make you forget or wait you out until you don't care. And given how much the conversation has changed and chilled out in regards to blood money, it's safe to say that the vast majority of people have either forgotten or don't care anymore. And that is the entire point of live. The Saudis aren't throwing half a billion at John Rahm because he's going to boost ratings. They are throwing half a billion at him because it further solidifies their place and power at the table. It reminds the PGA Tour that they cannot win this war. The Saudis are playing with an asset fund that has $700 billion in it. The PGA Tour is begging title sponsors of their tournaments to kick in a few extra million dollars to keep their tour afloat. In other words, the PGA Tour has brought a knife to a gunfight, and they know it, and we know it, and the Saudis know it. That's why by the end of this month, they will have some deal in place to merge the tours. And as each day passes and the shock of each signing wears off, and this whole thing becomes more and more normalized, and as we all get numb and bored and quite frankly, exhausted by keeping up with it, we will find ourselves wanting a merger that we were shocked by when it was originally announced back in June. The sports washing aspect of this whole thing wins out. Sooner rather than later, we will all be watching a product paid for by a group of people that have an extremely checkered history, recent history too. And when someone tells you that the same money in John Rahm's bank account is the same money that funded the 9-11 terrorist attacks, you're gonna shrug it off because what can you do? The money will always win and we're watching it play out in real time. We're watching sports washing work, and we're watching people go from outrage to apathy. This playbook works, and this is the playbook that the PIF and Liv are running. Think about the reaction Phil Mickelson got when he first joined, and the reaction that John Rahm got over the weekend, because they could not be more different, and that's by design. And just remember this as it all plays out. Live Golf was never here to reinvent golf or to have you watch their silly little tour. Liv's goal was to make you forget why you opposed it in the first place and to get a seat at the table and to eventually take that table over. And it's happening and it's happening way faster and way more effective than anyone could have ever imagined. You didn't pay attention when they did this in soccer and you sure as hell didn't even know that it happened in pro wrestling, but now it's happening in golf. And the question is, when will they come for the other leagues? The almighty, untouchable, cash cow, tour de force, economy onto its own, National Football League is estimated to be worth $100 billion. The Saudis could buy seven NFLs right now if they wanted to, but they only need to buy one. How long before that happens? This isn't about John Rahm and $600 million. That's just a fucking distraction, dude. It's a smokescreen. These guys, so quickly with all the backlash in the world, are sitting at the table with the PGA Tour right now. And 
you know what's going to happen. They're taking that bitch over. 100%. 100%. But like you just said, it's a distraction. It's a smokescreen. And that is my whole point. The distraction in the smokescreen is supposed to distract you. It's supposed to numb you out. It's supposed to have you having conversations in December that are completely the opposite of what we were having in June. When this merger was announced between the PGA Tour, Live, and the DP World Tour, people freaked out and lost their minds. In December, just six months later, people either don't care or they actually want it to happen so they can stop hearing all of this fragmented, annoying news that they have to keep up with. Because at the end of the day, the golf fans just want to watch golf and more than likely they want to see the best players playing each other. And when you start selfishly thinking about what you want to come out of all of this, you start making concessions morality concessions like hey fine let the saudis take over golf if this just shuts everyone up let the saudis take over golf we never ever ever imagined ourselves saying that just a few months ago yeah ever but here's where we are and this is why i keep coming back to sports washing this is what the point of it is and it's happening and when you look at the media reporting about John Rom's contract and all they're talking about is, holy hell, that's a lot of money. But no one is saying, where is that money coming from? When that's all they were talking about a few months ago, it went from blood money to just money. And that is the point. And everyone needs to keep that right in the front of their mind and brain and heart as you watch these guys who... We're on the outside looking in, now have a seat at the table. It will eventually be their table, and a lot sooner than any of us care to admit. I think the saddest part about all this is we live in a, in a world now where the 48-hour news cycle is real. Here today, gone tomorrow. People care. They get fired up, and come Thursday, they're just sitting in the drive through line like everybody else. You're totally right. And speaking of that short attention span, wasn't it interesting that the USGA and the RNA announced the golf ball rollback? The world was set on fire for 48 hours. A lot of people complaining about it. And then they're on to the next thing. No one's even thinking about it anymore. Remember that this golf ball rollback, which will take a mere five yards off your drive, maybe, if you <laughs> hit the ball consistently, which no one does, it doesn't go into effect for five more years. You couldn't even sustain your outrage for five days. How are you going to sustain it for five years? <clears throat> You're not. So it's always interesting to me to see people get all bent out of shape about something and then immediately come off of it because they just can't pay attention to it or they don't care. How many people have played golf between when the rollback was announced and today when you're listening to this? I have. I've played twice. Didn't think about the rollback once. Didn't think about my driving distance. Didn't think about anything other than, damn, I love being out here. Yeah. I don't care what ball you put in my hand in the year 2030. Just make sure that that golf course is still there and that I can still play. That's all I care yeah. about. When your attention span is short and your outrage is fake, you get exposed really quick. So much emotion. You got grown men holding little pieces of glass with their thumbs and just violently typing on this keyboard trying to convince someone that you're not going to convince. Arguments are, more often than not, so dumb. 
We've been getting a lot of that lately. Oh, yeah. And we'll get to that in just a second. But first, a shout out to Mike Trailer and my brother Aaron, a.k.a. Sock and Dingers, who came into town this past weekend. They flew in for 24 hours. We went and saw a concert at the observatory in Santa Ana. Before we went and did that, I got to show off the fine, fine city of Fullerton. Bounced around town, had a good time. And then we went to a show and I turned the clock back 20 years, and this was a hardcore show. And I, after a while of standing off to the side, was like, you know, I got to go exercise some demons in that mosh pit. Were the shooter guns out? No, because if you put your hands out, you open up your chest to getting absolutely impaled by someone who's running full speed across the dance floor trying to kill you. Four days later, can't move my neck, still have a headache, can't hear anything. Sounds like a lot of fun. No, it was a good time. Yeah, it was I a bet. Great time. Yeah, you really convinced me. So I went to breakfast with these guys the next day, and my buddy Mike tipped $5 on his meal. And it was one of those restaurants where you go up and you order, and then they bring it to you. And he tipped, and it's always a weird tip, right, when you're tipping before the service actually happens, especially when it's limited service. You're not being waited on. You're actually just waiting for them to bring you the stuff. They're not coming and checking on you. That's a dollar in a jar situation for me, Huck. Well said. And that's what it should be. But we live in a world right now. You have to tip. You have to tip. Whatever happened to earning it? I'm a huge, huge fan of the service industry. So are you. Yeah. But we've lost the plot. Oh, dude, tipping is outrageous now. If you're sitting in line at a poke place and they flip the screen over to you and they're just they're just on an assembly line, just scooping in what you tell them, what am I tipping? You didn't serve me. You just did your job. The service industry is different than just working, like doing your job. My buddy Mike tips on the bill before he gets the food and then the food came out heinously late like 15 or 20 minutes late (laughs) to the point where i was starting to get embarrassed because i was showing off my town and my town was not delivering good service and so i was asking the person floating around running the food hey where's my guy's food you know asked him once oh let me go check on it he didn't come back and say anything and we had all had our food sitting in front of us for quite some time so our food's getting cold it's that whole awkward do i eat or not The second time I say, hey, I think something might have happened. I think you guys might have dropped his food off with somebody else. Can you go check? And the guy caught an attitude, got all pissed and and went back and finally brought the food out. But my buddy Mike turns to me and he says, customer service has gone down while tipping has gone up. Yeah. Our expectation for service is at such a bare minimum low right now that we're shocked when we get good service. Yet. I would say 90% of food transactions include some kind of tip. You're no longer writing out 20% for someone who did a hell of a job at a steakhouse. You're now tipping 15 to 20% for somebody who might bring you your food on time after you went up to order it and then sat yourself. Yeah, what a joke. What a joke. (laughs) And here's the sad part. Once anything goes one way, it's really hard to go back. Part of their visit included attending my daughter's all-star soccer game. Yes, she made the all-star team. Yes, she scored two goals in the all-star game. Yes, she won the game. What are you going to do, folks? It was just a hell of a season. Question. So you weren't the coach this year, right? No. How many all-stars were selected from each team? I think three from each team. Three from each team Mm -hmm. was the coach's daughter selected. She was. Wow. Take it easy. Did she earn it? Two more topics. Christmas show, December 22nd. That is Friday, just a couple of days from now. I got a question for you. Yeah. 
what the hell was that text last night? When I texted her, are we going to do this? Yeah. Explain to me why your thought to cancel the show happened, where it's coming from, and why you put that on my plate. Okay. I want you to put your listening ears on. Those are hard to screw on sometimes. Yeah, they are. You ever heard the term addition by subtraction? Uh, Yeah. Okay. I won't ask you to explain it to me because I can see your wheels spinning along with those ears right now. <laughs> addition by subtraction is the concept that you can add to your life by taking something away from it. And I thought to myself, okay, here we have this Christmas show scheduled for December 22nd live on YouTube. This is a show coming off the heels of a show that did not go very well because that... But it got a lot of traction. What happened to the listening ears? I'm listening. Okay. So... But I can't can't interject? (laughs) And I'm not allowed? Coming off the heels of a a Black Friday show that didn't go so well because it was underprepared, we are staring down at this Christmas show. And I think your first comment to me after the Black Friday show, which was on November 24th, was, I am going to plan this with you. I'm going to take a lot off your plate. We are going to do this together. Let's get after it. Okay. Well, three weeks later... It's December the 12th. We don't have a guest. We don't have a format. We have no plans. We have no prizes curated. And so I was sitting there at night about to have a panic attack. And I thought, you know what? Let me just see where his head is at on this. And I texted you, are we still doing this show? And you wrote back, oh, hell yeah, we're doing it. And I'm like, fuck. (laughs) Okay. All right. Because we're nine days out as we're speaking right now. And we have nothing. Oh, no, I got it all planned out. I'm sure you did. Yeah, let me unscrew these ears, and I'll tell you all about it. Okay, so that was where that text message came from. I guess the show is still on Friday, December 22nd. If you're listening right now and you think that you'd be a wonderful guest and you can chew up an hour of time and be entertaining, why don't you go ahead and slide into the Nation Golf DMs and let us know why you would make a wonderful guest. in our What, Max Homa isn't showing up? (laughs) I asked Max Homa. He hasn't responded yet. (laughs) I asked Cole Young, and he did what he always does. He strings us along and then eventually just doesn't respond. So that's a no. (laughs) He's too busy hanging out on the top 100 hype beast list. What does that even mean? I don't know, but he's on there. (laughs) Hype beast. (laughs) Who even cares? We could do it just me and you. Could we? We could. Okay. Interview me for once. You know what? I did just buy this deck of cards with 150 interview questions on it. Yeah, so what are you so fucking worried about? Well, what I'm worried about is that I went through four of them with you today, four of these interview cards, and you gave me one-word answers. They were great one-word answers, though. One of the questions in this deck of cards, which is called the Life Story Interview Kit, a tool for capturing memories, one of the questions was, how did you get your name? And now this question should elicit some kind of great response of, my parents were thinking about this name for me, or it biblically means this, or I was named after my uncle. So I asked Ryan, how did you get your name? And he responded, quote, my parents. Okay, thanks. Thanks for nothing. Well, it wasn't a one-word answer. And then I said, where were you born and were you raised there? That was the next question. And his answer was yes, (laughs) which did not tell me where he was born, but it did answer the question, was he raised there? So I still don't know where he was born, but I know he was raised there. So now what you're telling me is that you could be my solo guest for this Christmas show. 100% I could. Okay. Yep. 
great. You know what we're going to do here live on the podcast? Yes. I am going to open this box of interview questions. Let them rip. And I'm going to ask you one question and see how you deal with it, okay? Let's see how I do with it, Adam. Did you serve in the military or have loved ones who have served? I did not. I have had a loved one that has served. The great Smoking Tom himself was in World War II, and he was a member of General Patton's army and fought in the Battle of the Bulge, which was the infantry that came in behind Normandy. Do you want more of that story, or do you want me to keep going? Usually when you're interviewing someone, you kind of like, you know, I, I put that out there, and then you come back in, but it looks like you just, like, took a recess. You know what? Let's let's take a break. <laughs> Final topic for the day, and an interesting one at that. Is little, it, though? We'll find out. <laughs> Quick little backstory here. Many of you know that this podcast is hosted by the two co-owners of Nation Golf, and our primary business is to make, market, and sell golden era apparel. However, that's not all that we do. We host parties and events. We have two tournaments a year, and we make content, whether it was the YouTube show, the live shows, or this podcast. And we have really put a lot of time and energy into this podcast, and full disclosure, not going to beat around the bush, we think we've got a pretty great show here. Anyway, we thought we need to promote this thing and we need to do a better job of what we've been doing, which was just kind of half-assed promoting it on our main Instagram page at Nation Golf. And we didn't really want to use the main page, which we've been working on for four years to just become this zany podcast promotion page and have the people who follow us there for a certain reason start to tune it out. And so one day, one day being last week, I thought, Let's just make a podcast page, and this is where we'll dump clips from the show and promote the podcast, and we'll use the big page to drive people over there. And if you want more of the podcast, you can get it in one spot, and if you don't care for it, you're not going to see it on the main feed. So last week, we recorded an episode where we talked about the golf ball rollback, we talked about artificial intelligence, and we talked about Tiger Woods. Eldrick Taunt Woods making his debut for the year at the Hero World Championship, whatever the hell that thing's called, Hero World <laughs> Challenge. Serious. Hot take. Yeah. Calling golf tournaments challenge. Right. Isn't that stupid? Remember when they took over the Bob Hope Classic and they're like, the Humana Challenge. Mm -hmm. The fuck does that mean? The Hero World Challenge? World Challenge, huh? Okay. Challenge me. <laughs> yes, I will challenge you. So... I was making these clips. I was just grabbing some audio. And because Instagram Reels only allows you a 90-second video, I had to truncate some audio down to 90 seconds to fit these clips that I was making. So I grabbed a 90-second clip of Ryan Engel not saying but somewhat insinuating that Tiger Woods might be taking something and that something was very clearly laid out as it could be anything, not necessarily steroids, but Tiger's definitely taking something. We posted the clip, went to bed, woke up, and this brand new Instagram account at the Fellowship Podcast, which at the time had 98 followers, all of a sudden had a video that had been viewed 40,000 times and commented on 100 times. An hour would pass, that number would go up to 50,000, 60,000, 70,000. And the shares were nuts. 
The amount of people that shared this clip currently today sits at 4,500. The clip has been viewed 200,000 times, and it was commented on at least 500 times before I eventually turned the comments off. And I bring it up because I want to talk about this concept of going viral. Going viral is somewhat of a goal of many people who are trying to drive engagement, build a following, and ultimately sell somebody something or become famous. And I'm not going to lie. When I founded the podcast page last week, the entire idea was to go viral, to put stuff out there that would be consumed by people outside of our normal audience. That's the entire idea of promoting anything, right? However, once you quote unquote go viral, it's a snowball rolling down a hill and you have no control over it. And more often than not, when you're going viral, it's for something extremely polarizing. You have half the people cheering you on and half the people saying, you fucking suck and I hate you. And if I ever see you, I'm going to kill you. All of this over a take that Tiger Woods might be on something. And this was not an exclusive take to our show or to you. Many people were saying that. In fact, some really big media brands had put out blog posts where they just aggregated a bunch of tweets of people saying the exact same thing. So we joined in in the conversation and we gave our take and then I took your take and I put it on Instagram. And what do you know? Public enemy number one, seven days running at the Fellowship Podcast. How dumb are people nowadays? We had a topic. You asked me a question. I answered it. You can clearly tell even in the sound bite where you've nutted it down to 90 seconds. Do I sound mad or is my delivery like negative? I'm freewheeling. I'm shooting the shit. It's coming from a kind-hearted tone. To hear that and to go full dumbass in the comments like you're all offended, all the Tiger fanboys in the comments, there was a ton of them who are saying, he's sweat like that his whole career. No He has not. This is a new thing. This is post-bulk Tiger. When Tiger was towards the tail end of his work with Hank Haney, that's when he started bulking up. And Hank Haney, in his book, talked about how Tiger was working out way too much. He was taking it way too serious. And at first, it was like SEAL training. He wasn't getting buff. He was just getting in crazy shape. And you know when you start doing that stuff, you're going down the nutrition side of it too. Whether it's legal or illegal, you know he's doing everything he can to exploit his workouts. That's how this shit works. We're not idiots. This is when he started sweating profusely. And I will say this, I'm actually open-minded about this stuff. There was a couple guys in the comments saying, well, this could also be from all the painkillers, the meds that he's on from his surgeries. Great point. Totally could be. It wasn't that he was sweating a lot, Adam. He was oversaturating his fucking hat and it was dripping off of his bill like it was raining while he was putting. This isn't just like, he's always sweat like that his whole career. Show me another clip pre-2010 where there's sweat dripping off his bill because there isn't one. Newsflash for all you fanboys out there. He's been in the public eye before 2008. He was on TV for three U.S. junior amateurs. 
He was on TV for three U.S. amateurs, and throughout those three U.S. amateurs, he was on TV in selected, sponsor-exempted PGA Tour events. He was already a household name by that time. And then once he came on the tour, he was everywhere. There's so much stuff to look up that it's overwhelming. And there's no video record of him sweating like this the first third, maybe first half of his career. So to say that he sweat like this his whole career, incorrect. He has not. His fans are in a trance, the Tiger trance. They worship this guy. And if anyone comes out and says anything that even sniffs like it's negative or wrong about him, it's just pure emotional knee-jerk responses. And that's all this was. You're not listening. You're not paying attention. We're talking about the obvious. Look at the fucking guy. And we weren't being mean about it. We didn't say he was on steroids. Use your fucking brain, dude. Get on here and just start spewing shit. What a colossal waste of time. No, we're not made out for this viral stuff. Because we're not idiots like you guys. I'm trying to fucking be with my family on the weekend. I don't need my phone going off, listen to a bunch of grown men argue about how much Tiger Woods sweats and why he looks like he's jacked or not. Let me say this from my point of view, because I'm less concerned about the content of what we said. I'm more concerned about the reaction and how it made me feel. And you know that I'm a tightly wound guy who has a lot of anxiety. And there's just something to be said about when something is spinning out of control and you can't do anything about it. Where this video was being watched on average a hundred times a minute and being shared once a minute and being commented on once every two minutes and the comments were ranging from you guys are the biggest fucking idiots in the world to you're going to get sued for defamation. And I'm quite literally with my brother who's visiting, my best friend who's visiting, my wife who I love, my son who I love, watching my daughter play soccer. And what felt like the world was attacking me inside of my pocket of my jeans. And every time I opened the phone, it was just one mini panic attack after the other. And then you start having these thoughts of, are we killing our brand and our business by doing this? Are people going to find out that I work for another company and go tell them, like, look what this guy is doing who represents you. Our names are on this. Like, what's happening here? What are people going to do? And then it's linked back to the Nation Golf page, which has our address on it. Is someone going to get really upset and come down and want to have some face-to-face words about it? And it was just like, man, is any of this worth it? Because if you quantify it, Sure, it got shared 4,000 times, got a bunch of engagement, more so than anything we've ever done. However, it didn't really translate to anything. more podcast listeners. Do we really think there are 200,000 new listeners right now? I mean, the following went up by 100. Whatever. Is that worth it? Is it worth the stress? Is it worth feeling that way? And then it just got me thinking about social media as a whole. I mean, there are people that will go on with their guitar and start singing some cover song and get like 5,000 comments of like, you fucking suck. You should put that guitar down and die or whatever. And you wonder why everyone is just so depressed and anxious and sad all the time because you just have a bunch of strangers telling you, you fucking suck and it coming in droves and it being nonstop. And then you have to weigh like, 
do I want to keep this going for the engagement? Is there such a thing as bad press? It sure feels bad right now. It's just a weird thing. And then so I, I had to ask myself the existential question of, do we even want to go viral? Is it worth it? Because, man, it's sure a lot more fun talking to a curated audience well, yeah. of friends, fans, family than it is talking to strangers. Yes, you want the strangers to know you exist because you want to blow up and you want to get big, but at what cost? If we were making memes or loud-ass stretchy shirts, yeah, we would want to go viral because we're just trying to make as much as we can right now, but that's not what we're doing. My grandfather's the logo. We've had a tournament for 16 years. We've curated a following of like-minded people that understand our story and our passion and our mission to hang on to something that's bigger than us, that's a movement, and it's a legacy, and it's a lifelong journey. We don't want to go viral. And I don't care what people I don't care about think about me. I felt the butterflies in my stomach because I feel a need to respond because I love the shit talking and I love when I clearly know someone's wrong. I felt anxiety because I wanted to jump in there and be like, show me another fucking video before 2018 that he's sweating, you fucking moron. You're not listening, bro. I'm not talking shit. We're just pointing out the obvious and having a discussion. It's a soundbite. You this upset? Why don't you go listen to the whole conversation? But these people are too dumb to do that. I didn't care that they were talking shit. I cared that I had the urge to want to like fire back. So we talked about it this weekend. Like, what should we do with it? My questions to you were simple. Are these even the people we want to engage with? These guys don't give a fuck about the smoking Tom. They don't care about the experience that our guys have every May in Indian Wells. They don't care about the passion we put into this and like why we're doing this and what it means to us. These are children, dude. Right. And there were a lot of people that said, clearly you two don't know anything about golf. <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Obviously they're wrong, right? Yeah. They don't know what we know. I'm the editor of a golf magazine. I've played golf my entire life. You've played golf your entire life. You're a member at a country club. You've hosted a tournament. You've founded a golf brand. You have 18 sets of golf clubs <laughs> surrounding us right now. We're sitting at a golf warehouse. We're hosting a golf podcast. To say we don't know anything about golf is blatantly wrong, but it's not that it's blatantly wrong. It's that you can put something out into the world, and it doesn't even really matter what you're saying or who you are or what you do. It's about their initial knee-jerk reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And so many people in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, were having these knee-jerk reactions to it that that's what gave me the anxiety. It's not like I can't handle having shit talk to me. You do it eight hours a day every day that we're in well, here. Well, come on. I went through five years of it on the Jim Rome show. Turn on the Black Friday show we just did. I don't mind that. What I mind is just this horrible misconception of who we are and feeling like something's completely out of our control. Yeah. To continue to refresh the phone and just see that view count and that comment count and that share count go up and up and up and up and up. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah. What are we doing here? Because it's not like those guys translated into friends, customers, podcast listeners, followers. They just came by and attacked the hell out of us and then left. But my wife, as I was talking to her about it, made the point 
these people are on to the next thing before you even read their comment. You're stuck on it and continuing to look at it, and you're living on that post for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven days. They're already on to the 20th video of the day that they're talking shit on. Yeah. This is the way the internet works. I just guess I have a problem with the way the internet works. It's not a fun place to be when you're up on a cross getting killed. I try not even look at comments in general anywhere now. So mm-hmm. like a lot of the stuff I like to follow, I follow some like carpentry stuff, finished carpentry. I love watching like how creative and how talented some of the guys are at building like rad shit. I follow a lot of cooking stuff, a lot of like steak, barbecue, that kind of stuff too, you know? The comments and all that stuff, people arguing and violently talking shit about how cooked a steak is. What? Don't go away mad. Just go away. Yep. And on that note, please do go follow at The Fellowship Podcast on Instagram. (laughs) It's our new podcast page. And boy, howdy, would we love to have some of our friends, fans, and family over there helping us fight this war against grown men who act like children and bots. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We will catch you next week. See ya.